One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the show. My guest today is Simon Gosling. Simon is the futurist at Unruly, a company that gets videos seen, shared and loved across the open web. Founded in 2006 and acquired in 2011 by News Corp, Simon's role is to explore and make predictions about future marketing trends based on the most cutting-edge technologies. With over 25 years of experience in the advertising industry and a leading authority in VR, VFX and CGI animation, Simon became the global CEO of Happy Finish in 2013, where he expanded all of their global offices into full 360 production houses, adding motion effects to their still CGI and animation business and turning Happy Finish into a world leader in the creation of VR experiences. Simon has then taken the helm of Unruly's future home project and now spends his days experimenting with new media formats and advising people on the trajectories and opportunities of these emerging platforms. It's very exciting to have him on the show with us today. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ricky. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've caught up a little bit before the show today and it's uh, been really insightful. You've, you've certainly filled me full of insights, so I'm sure there's lots to talk about today. Um, before we get into the nitty-gritty... I wondered if you'd be kind enough to just share some of your general philosophy when it comes to advertising and what actually constitutes good advertising today. Storytelling is the vital component of all good advertising. If you say to someone, remember any ad, they're always going to... Storytelling is going to be the thing that they remember most and storytelling that connects. And one of the things that's very important in that is good emotional intelligence. If you get that right, then people are more likely to share your videos online sharing is caring caring is buying if you get the emotional intelligence correct you're more likely to sell the products and so storytelling is is really where it's at and that's what i've always enjoyed the most over the years of enjoying advertising for people that aren't familiar with the term emotional intelligence i know that there's actually a book about emotional intelligence is there not that's right i mean it's interesting we're at uh, unruly we have a um, piece of software we call uh, unruly eq Okay, so it's a bit of like a market research uh, technology. So we'll take a video uh, for a brand. We'll play it to 500 people who know that they're part of this uh, marketing uh, research. And they permitted us to use their webcams to do to measure their facial coding, to measure their facial response to the commercial. Um, and then we also asked them to write down after we've done that what they thought of the commercial. And it's very interesting because sometimes, um, you know, if you watch an ad and you laugh at it, that's involuntary. That's just what happens when you watch the ad. If you think, I'm going to share this on my Facebook wall or whatever it is, I'm going to be the funny guy amongst my friends, that's considered. And it's great to get that in mix of the two. And we've done things uh, unruly where we've taken, say, uh, the winning films from Cannes 2016, and we've played them to audiences in um, America and in Europe and in Asia. And we've seen that people might respond very differently in those territories. We've seen sort of happiness and joy coming out of America and Europe, but rage and anger coming out of uh, Asia for the same piece of content. And so it's all that the emotional intelligence in that is understanding what 
response your audience is going to have towards the creative that you've created. And sometimes, you know, when we put it through EQ, we get the response that we were expecting or that the brand were expecting. And other times there's some surprises along the way where they thought a character might be charming and sweet when actually people watch and think, God, that character's really freaking me out. And the emotional response shows that it's not having the desired effect. And so knowing that the creative is actually generating the right emotional emotional connection, the right response, and seeing who responds to it and how they're responding to it, that enables you to target the right people, the people most likely to buy your product. So in the broadcast era, everyone saw that um, Heineken commercial, let's say, for example, whether they were going to buy the beer or not. Today, Heineken can come to Unruly. We can take their video, play it to that audience of 500, see who responds is the, the, the best to it, the way you wanted them to respond, and make sure that that's the section that we uh, target with that. And that's why digital ad spend has overtaken traditional ad spend last year for the first time, because it's this ability to target. Let's talk about that a little bit, because there's a lot of people who are just highly sceptical about digital media and that it's a, it's a fad, that uh, it can't inform our decisions, that spending money online is a waste of time and that actually there's you're not getting the return on investment that people are claiming and it's all hype what would you say to those people say it's nonsense (laughs) look at something let's look at a few examples of this um well for example spotify all right um discover weekly on spotify in the past okay before discover weekly when it was the days of buying cds looking at a traditional format okay um used to have a small number of record companies playing songs to you on top of the pops and on friday morning in the playground you talked about seven songs to you brought to you by one channel the bbc supplied to them by about four record companies tiny and then suddenly spotify comes along and knows what you like listening to and makes suggestions of 30 different songs that you might like based on your listening preferences. It introduces you to bands you otherwise would never have heard of. I've been to see bands I've never even dreamt of, thanks to Spotify, thanks to an algorithm that takes my preferences, gets to know me, and then suggests things based on my likes and dislikes. Okay? Now, when that comes to brands and the ambient era of advertising, you know, we're talking about the connected home being the ambient era of advertising, well, there's all sorts of opportunities for brands to enter the marketplace who in the past didn't have the budgets to do so, but now they can make themselves known because they can appeal to people's preferences. I think, um, no, digital and ambient spending and that ability to target and that ability to apply emotional intelligence to that, that's what's going to connect. That's why we've seen such great examples of ads that we've uh, distributed through Unruly doing so well. You, You just mentioned there Spotify. I think that's a great example of a way that you've been introduced to a brand through a a medium that most people wouldn't even consider as a, as an option as an advertising delivery method so you know being able to change some of the data so that you appear after Justin Bieber for example as opposed to being after somebody else like that might be a really worthy investment of time and advertising spend if it means that you get elevated yeah what are some other lesser known kind of uh, tidbits of say the internet where people just aren't even thinking about where you may get a competitive edge Okay. I mean, just to say on the Spotify example, I think if if Spotify does that for music, I think there's an opportunity for uh, supermarkets to do that for food and for food brands. So supermarkets, people are going to start, you know, I talk about traditional digital and ambient. So traditionally, people used to push uh, shopping trolleys down supermarket aisles. In the digital era, we started shopping online and doing our weekly shop on our laptop and the van delivers it at the weekend. Now you can 
add to basket via your Alexa or for you through your Google Home, your voice assistant. You can actually add to basket on the go. Very, very simple. Um, and so as you do this, if you think about it, there's an opportunity for someone like, let's say, Tesco's to say, we know what you buy each week. Spotify know what you listen to. All right. And by knowing what you buy each week, it's like people who like prawns almost also like calamari. So would you like me to add calamari to your basket to mix it up a bit, to introduce you to stuff you might never have had? Not only can I introduce you to it, I can add it to your shopping basket. I can talk to you about, talk you through how to cook it. All right. And I can even switch on your appliances to cook it perfectly for you. That's about what the connected home is going to do. So that's one thing about you know, how AI and algorithms can broaden your horizons. In terms of ad formats that you're saying about sort of opportunities for brands, I think there's two real key things that we talk about in the future, Homer Unruly, in terms of next generation ad formats, which are really coming to the fore right now. Very important. One is voice strategy, and the other one is augmented reality, um, being an immersive ad format. If I may say as well, one of the things we talk about, when you think about, when brands think about the connected home, they have to think of it in relation to the outside world. Think of the outside world as the space in which you develop brand love and affection, where you offer, where brands offer experiences. Think of inside the home or inside the car, okay, as your point of sale. The connected home is your point of sale. So that's vital, all right? So you might be driving down the street with a, an Alexa site kind of device in your car. Alexa's just been introduced to BMW. It's already in Ford. It's coming out next year to BMW. You can even buy a clip-on um, voice uh, activation unit called uh, Chris, which is being developed right now. It's a, it's almost like an Echo. Uh, going to just stick on your windscreen. You don't have to buy a BMW to have this technology. <laughs> you can stop at the traffic lights, see a traditional poster for Heineken, let's say, again. And you can be in your car and you can say, hmm, add to basket bottles of that particular product. Voice is really important because right now, 20% of all internet searching is done by voice. By 2020, the year of the future home, 50% of all internet search will be done by voice. That, that seems like quite an unbelievable number, actually. 20%, you say? Right now, that's what I've read online uh, from reliable sources. 20% of all internet search is a voice-based. An internet search could be, I came to the studio today and I can say, how do I get to you know, Soho or whichever area we're in? And that's an internet search. It's using voice rather than typing to search. And 20% is what it is today, 50% tomorrow. And the thing that brands are really afraid of in the voice era, in fact, Campaign Magazine call it the brandless era of voice. I was at a, um, to Mexico in Cologne, a big marketing event just two weeks ago. The keynote talk was Amazon, and the subject of the talk was, have you got your voice strategy worked out? Because brands want to avoid brand bypass. These are two very important words, okay? Because brand bypass could be described as follows. If I um, say, add, add batteries to basket... I'm probably going to get Amazon batteries if I order them through an Alexa. What did Duracell want me to say? Add Duracell batteries to basket. Google say you have to have want to, two moments in your voice strategy. Want to know, want to buy. So, for example, I was talking to Hellman's. We've had 1,500 visitors come to the, the home which you came to recently. And we've had about 120 tours with brands and agencies. Hellman's were in there the other day with Unilever. And they realised on the spot, they said, you know what, we need to ask ourselves, we're the marketing team, we need to ask the sales team, who are we selling those big buckets of Hellman's mayonnaise to in the catering industry? Which sexy chefs, you know, Nigella, Gordon, Jamie, okay? So that when someone says to their Alexa in the future, why does Jamie's burger taste so good? What's he put in that thing? 
Well, if you've sold Hellman's in the catering industry to Jamie, you don't want it to say, Jamie puts one teaspoon of ketchup and one teaspoon of mayonnaise in his burger. You want it to say one teaspoon of Hellman's mayonnaise. Now is the time to get the early adopter advantage on this and do your deals with the Jamie Olivers and all your celebrities and make sure you get it sewn up so that when Alexa is asked, Alexa tells you, want to know, want to buy. So voice strategy is very important. Developing skills for Alexa is also very important. As you know, skills on an Alexa are like apps on an iPhone. There are 20,000 skills currently on an Alexa. 1,600 were added last week. And I asked someone who makes skills, what's a good brief for a skill and what's a bad brief? And he said you get a lot of bad briefs where agencies haven't considered properly what to do with a skill on Alexa. So I said, well, right, what's a good one? He talked about a good one that he had recently from Mondelez uh, Craft. You know, they make loads of dairy products, but they haven't made a skill to sell every single product they make. Their number one selling product is Philadelphia, and most people with Philadelphia make cheesecake. So their brief was, let's own cheesecake. And they've developed a skill which is open, it's called Open Cheesecake Recipes. It suggests all these different cheesecakes, fruity ones, zesty ones, whatever you like, and guess what you need to buy to make them with? Philadelphia cheese. Ka-ching, skills selling your product well for you. So skill, voice skills are a very important thing to consider. So there's two things here for, for, say, people listening, and, you know, please feel free to interject. But So the first thing is is this idea of big data, and that back in the day you used to have user groups in advertising agencies, and it would be like 10 people in a room, and you'd try and get their opinion, and that's just defunct because we've just got such access to data that it, gives us trends that most people, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even foresee them should, um, until you had that kind of massive quantities of data. Amazon can predict when you're going to likely to have a child before you even do kind of thing based right. on some of your search history and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, and tell me if I'm wrong here, like it may not be right now um, a great investment for say, but it probably is a great investment, but for, for Philadelphia cheese to pump all their money into an Alexa skill. However, what you're doing is, like you say, you're getting your early adopter advantage. And this is this is a theory that many marketers believe, which is move onto a platform before it's popular, uh, get your foothold, and then as it grows, you've already established a base and you can leverage that. And when everyone else is catching up, you're far ahead of the game and you, you know you've already iterated and... Uh, you become a market leader. So in that respect, it does become a worthy investment. Um, Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Keith Weed, the CEO of Unilever, says, be future-facing as a company. Be there so that you're there before before the consumers are, so that when the consumers get there, you're ready and there to greet them. Um, And actually, that's a really good philosophy that he comes out with. Because what we've seen previously is, you know, people are buying iPhones and brands go, we need an app. People have start consumers always lead the way. Consumers set up Facebook pages and brands go, we need a Facebook page. What we're doing with Home at uh, Unruly is not sort of saying everyone's got an Alexa, we need a skill. You know, they're buying them thick and fast, but actually in year one, there were 11 million sold. Okay, that was the year one up to Christmas last year. But that's the same number of um, devices as iPhones sold iPhones, Apple sold iPhones in year one. So it's on the same sales trajectory as the iPhone. And the iPhone went on to sell a billion. Um, so what we're saying with the future home is we'll look after, we'll get your videos seen today, but what are we going to do within the future? And one of the things, two things we've identified is we'll probably put sound messages into your home 
ready to be triggered by the right trigger phrase. And bear in mind, you have control here. You're not going to walk through the front door and be blasted with audio messages. You can say to your Alexa, offers on or offers off. In offers off, you don't get any messaging. Fine. But in offers on, you'll get discounts, points, rewards. You'll get tickets to see your favourite band at that secret gig in that cool venue that you want to stick on your Instagram. Sometimes it's good to have offers on. Um, And so I think we'll get your video seen. We'll get your sound messages poised, ready to be heard when the right trigger words are said. So if I say add blades to basket when I'm in the bathroom, I might suddenly get a message from Wilkinson Sword delivered by Unruly saying, Wilkinson Sword would like to offer you two for one on their new Hydro 5 Razor system and you can decide whether you want them or not. I'm also thinking that it's possible that we'll actually be putting products into people's baskets. So, for example, um, Heineken might have developed this 0.0 alcohol-free beer, which is their new beer, okay? And they might say to Unruly, here's a million four-packs, get them in the baskets of the people most likely to continue buying this beer, all right? And we'll know that from the data generated by the home. In the second section of the interview... I wanted to talk to Simon about his vision for the way the media is going to integrate into the connected home. I'd like to get his opinion on how our behaviour is going to change and how this is going to develop over time. Could you just for the audience actually just summarise exactly what this future home is? Oh, it's a good question because when Sarah Wood, who's our founder and CEO, asked me to build the future home, I seriously thought she was talking about, I said to her, what headset do you want people to experience this future home? And I thought she was talking about a VR experience. And she said, no, Simon, 2,000 square foot in our office space, a real home with a dining room, a living room, a hallway, a kitchen, an adult bedroom, a kid's bedroom, a walk-in wardrobe and a bathroom. I mean, it's like a real home. In fact, I, I'm very happy. You know, I, I led the project and uh, looked after the design of the space. And um, I really wanted to make sure that when people came there, they all said, I want people to say, wow, I'd love to live here. And they do, which is always, I, I always smile inside when I hear that because I wanted it to come across as an authentic home space rather than a sort of a uh, a showroom in a, in someone's uh, office. It feels like a home. You really could um, live in the space and you've been there. So it has beautiful paintings and it has beautiful furniture and it mixes old and new. In fact, I was advised by Home Magazine, part of News Corps and RemodelEaster.com to make sure it was Hygge, this uh, Swedish, <laughs> this, not Swedish rather, this Scandinavian word for cosy and warm. And, you know, it's really important. So we've really looked at human behaviour. We've looked at what the home of the future is going to look like. We've bought plants inside, lots of plants. If you look at the Apple store on Regent Street, this beautiful store, there's beautiful trees in there. It's all about biophilia, bringing, mixing plants and interior design. So when you go, it is a 2,000 square foot office in our office in Whitechapel, our HQ. And it's a home where people have this tour, which I conduct with my colleagues on uh, on our commercials team. And we show people around the home. We go from room to room. We play messages inside of screens and in mirrors. And we stand and we chat and we look at AR and VR and MR and voice. And we're basically wanting to give marketers a synapse tingling view of the future of advertising. Understand 
the ambient era. This is the next wave of advertising, the connected home. But if you're going to communicate with people in their homes, they're going to shut the door on you if you don't do it correctly. And we're asking that question. What is the emotional intelligence of communicating with someone in the home? What's the right tone of voice? Where do people like to engage with brands and not like to engage? We're really studying it and it's a, it's a great experience. Just on that, because for people that are less familiar with Unruly, you're not a, a, an ad agency per se, are you? I mean, do you no. guys actually create creative or do, are you more delivery? We have uh, a great line, which is we don't make make the films but we make them famous because we get them seen by the people most likely to share them and if they share them they turn it into a hit so no um my background as you said at the in the introduction is 26 years of working with companies like framestore and the moving picture company and happy finish i've always been the guy that sat at the table with the agencies and said right let's make a film or let's make a a piece of music for film or whatever it might be i've always been on content creation I'm now on content distribution, and like I say, we don't make the films, but we make them famous. So you were just about to share with us your kind of uh, breakdown philosophy of the the future home and and how you foresee this uh, playing out in the future, uh, or, or even now to some degree. Uh, feel free to share that with us. Well, it's a really interesting concept because... Um, I call it my love, trust and affection story. Um, we've already talked about the importance of emotional intelligence in advertising. So think about this. It's to, right, someone knocks on your... Oh, sorry, rewinding. <laughs> I always think of it in terms of traditional, digital and ambient. So traditional. Someone knocks on the door of your home. Do you let them through the door? Only if you have any love, trust or affection for the person at the door. Because if you don't, they ain't coming in, right? Digital. You're downloading an application to your phone. It's, let's say, it's British Airways check-in app. Now, if you've got that app, you don't have to print your boarding pass. You don't, you'll be given notifications when your flight is delayed. There's some really nice reasons to have that app on your phone. Convenience. That's the value exchange. Because when you're downloading it, it suddenly says, this application wants to look at your camera, listen to your microphone, look at your contacts books, and know a hell of a lot about you. Continue or cancel. Do you let them in or not? I hit continue personally if it's BA because I have trust, love and affection for BA. They tick those boxes perfectly and I want the value exchange. I'm happy to give up my data to not have to go to my printer and print a boarding pass. That's me. That's my choice. I'm not saying everyone else should, but that's how it works with me. Would you, Chris, continue? Yeah, well, this is. I just want to dig into that very quickly because, again, for people, especially in traditional advertising uh, world, the idea of value exchange is often skirted. So you'll produce a commercial or some kind of video and it will just be a way of uh, ramming home a message that people don't want to engage with. And to a a massive degree, that is just somebody... That's the equivalent of somebody that just butts into your conversation all the time. And um, you can argue that they'll get their message across, but you're not going to invite them to dinner again. Whereas the person that waits and then provides some valuable insight or... Uh, you know some information that you're like oh great let's invite this person around again and the equivalent of that is to produce a video that isn't the pre-roll ad that you're having to skip it's the actual video itself that you're going to voluntarily uh, to engage with it mm. is my is the way i look at these is, is a value exchange but likewise that can be applied to just about anything digitally and app. it's very important in terms of the giving up of data You know, once upon a time, my parents would say, I can't believe you've given your credit card details to a computer and bought an EasyJet flight. And I said, oh, look, you don't have to. And I'm not going to convince you to do so, mum and dad. You can get in the car, 
drive to Thomas Cook, wait for your turn, and then be served at the desk for someone to buy you a flight. That You can still do that, well, just about, all right? But I'm going to give the, the computer my credit card, I'm going to double-click, I'm going to book my flights. What do you think my parents do now? They double-click, okay? Now, that's not to say it's right. I'm not saying people should. I'm saying that's what history shows us, that it becomes commonplace. You get generally, well, even with voice technology, we're seeing the earliest examples of voice voice adoption, really, it's 11 to 17-year-olds who are using voice the most, and over 55-year-olds are using it the least. No surprises. But interestingly, I think voice, I'm a family of five. Trust me, I think voice is going to become the sixth family member. I'll explain why. Recently, there were two twin boys, four years old, in Croydon, and they have a two-year-old brother. And this is a true story. They went into the kitchen uh, of their home, and mum was unconscious on the floor, passed out. The boy takes his mum's unconscious hands, uses the thumb to open her phone, and then the boy of four asks Siri, mum's passed out, what do I do? Siri dialed 999, and the boy was on the phone to um, uh, the emergency services. An ambulance arrived, and 13 minutes later, she was conscious and she was fine. Wow. So this is really how voice is going to become part of everyday life it's it's coming and you know for more, a four-year-old more, more four touch tvs yeah and wonder why you can't why they're not ipads it's natural for them to interact with voice and it becomes commonplace yeah so the argument here again uh, so i've been trying to research a lot recently of the people that have a con- contradictory viewpoint because i want to strengthen my argument which is very much on the side that you're on mm-hmm. but they'll say that you know that that older market are the, are the people with the spending power the people that buy cars and and houses and holidays and and we ignore them by giving them digital stuff but well look at something like makeup genius by l'oreal okay makeup genius by l'oreal a girl or a boy whatever you know will look at his uh will look at their phone and using augmented reality okay they can choose a look they can project the look onto their face. They can change their expressions. No matter what they do, that look stays pasted onto their face. And if they like the look, they can share it with their friends and they can add to basket and they can buy. It's the Snapchat generation. It's the teen generation. See it, shoot it, share it, buy it. Okay? My mum isn't going to buy makeup that way. All right? And so, but that makeup app is being used by, I think, 27 million young women to buy makeup. You do horses for courses, okay? My mum will buy her makeup in in a totally different way. But give it time. And my mum is now using Facebook Messenger, Skype, and iPad, all right? She wasn't using that at the same time that my teenage daughters were. She gets around to it eventually. My carpet fitter the other day said that um, he's... He loves his Alexa. He was asking me what I do for a living, and I told him, he said, oh, I love Alexa. And I said, really, what do you, do? What do you use it for? And he says, oh, we have it on for the music in the garden. He said, my dad was over the other day, and he said, I bet it can't find a song that I used to dance to when I was in the RAF so many odd years ago. And he said, well, the guy goes, well, test it. And the older, older dude asks for this song he hasn't heard for 60-odd years or something, and Alexa plays for it. And he thinks, that's brilliant. I want one of those in my home. He takes it home, and his mate Bill says, that's amazing, mate. What was that? It's Alexa. He goes and buys it, and they all they embrace it. And, uh, but, you know, my yeah. older people have smartphones now, don't they? I'm basically saying it takes time. You're right. They have to spend power, all right? Maybe voice isn't the way to go for them right now, but it will become so. And it will become so when they gather around together at the Christmas table and they go, what's this Alexa thing? And it starts to become complex. Also, 
Um, a friend of mine, uh, his mum's 66. She's having, uh, I think it was, she's, she has a certain, engaged a certain disability which is preventing her from driving or typing. I think it's to do with her sight. And he's shown her how to add to her Ocado basket by voice. And she said, add bananas to my Ocado basket. And she saw on her phone, bananas were just miraculously added by voice. And she thought that was a miracle. And once they see how easy and natural voice is, they're going to engage with it. Let's talk about TV a little bit because, you know, the TV's been in our homes for so long and for years it's been, uh, well, it has been disrupted several times. Obviously, you used to have only a couple of channels and now you've got uh, ways of skirting advertisements to to a large degree. Mm. Uh, at the moment, there's platforms like uh, Apple TV, Apple TV. <laughs> that amalgamates all of these services into one place. Yeah. Uh, wh- where do you see the TV evolving? Where do I see TV evolving? In what respect? I mean, obviously, we know Netflix is an evolution that's sort of on demand, and Netflix will suggest films to you based on your listening channel. So it's almost the, the, the Spotify of video. So that's one thing. I think one of the things that we're seeing with Sky is this uh, with Sky Q Box is. I'm in my taxi and I'm watching a film and I walk in t- into my living room and I pick the film up from where I left off. I was on my tablet and now I'm on my TV in my living room and I think, actually, it's a bit late. I'm going to go to bed and I pick the film up from exactly the right point in my bedroom TV. That's called sort of seamless viewing. So that's definitely something that we're going to see, not just in um, visual. It's also going to be in audios. You know, HarperCollins books will develop uh, audio books that want to do the same thing. We're, no, we're going from the car to the room to the kitchen. You just hear the same thing. Sonos are kind of doing that with speakers in music. You go from one room to the other and you hear that same thing wherever you go. And that fluid motion of um, partaking in a, in a medium is going to be really, really important. But in terms of what TV, I mean, we're... You know, this is the Amazon thing as well. Um, and Netflix, Amazon will pay, can afford to pay more to film crews and stuff to build, to to, to create um, new series, which is what we're seeing. You know, Netflix have got more money and we're seeing those sort of organisations have the budgets to engage the best stars and the yeah, best directors. It's funny, isn't it? I think it started with HBO. All of a sudden there started to be this sense that HBO were producing the great, the best telly and then it seems right. like lots of people are jumping on, like, do you know what, the content is, we're going to funnel loads of money here. That's right. uh, uh, I was talking the other day to some of my employees about actually turning... Uh, the stuff that we're watching into into ads. So the, an example I had at the top of my head was the Lego movie. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know of any more examples where people have, have successfully turned the things that we actually want to actively consume into the, the, the method of advertising itself? Well, absolutely. I mean, we know that that's where the term soap opera came from in the very first place. It was um, dramas built around selling soap powder back in the 1950s, and the Lego movement is a more, uh, movie is a more up-to-date equivalent. Interestingly, when it comes to Alexa, I read recently, and I haven't heard it, but Mondelez developed an audio drama for um, Ritz Biscuit Crackers. And I haven't heard it, like I say, but I was reading about it. And one of the things I thought was kind of interesting in that was Mondelez were quoted as saying that we're not too concerned about ROI on this particular experiment. We just want to see how many people listen to it, one or a million. Does, will it travel word of mouth? How is it going to, going to work? And I think that's really brave. And, you know, when I was working with VR in the very early days of VR, um, we used to say VR gets PR. You know, we did something with Subway Sandwiches for example, whereby they had latest sandwich and you saw posters and you saw TV ads for the New York sub 
All right, that was one thing. But they did this thing where they took a yellow taxi, put it on the south bank of the River Thames, okay? And it was really hilarious, you know. There was queues of people. You sat in the back seat of a New York cab on the River Thames. You put on a headset and you put on headphones and you were suddenly in the streets of New York. You could feel New York on the cab. You could see and hear New York. And then we handed people a sandwich, this New York sub. They could hardly find their mouths because <laughs> they were black. So that was hilarious. And people were videoing that and tweeting that VR gets PR and it was getting good earned media. Media. But at the same time, people at, at, at that time were saying, hey, I can taste New York. I can see New York. I can feel, this is amazing. And they were really picked up on it. But Subway kind of did that as an add-on to their campaign, which was advertising this thing. But it, it was great. It, was show, it was, uh, wasn't expensive, and it meant that they were doing something which uh, got them earned media. And I think by Mondelez and Ritz Crackers doing this Alexa thing, even if people don't listen to it, the amount of press they're getting just by the fact that they're the first to market doing it is giving them kudos. One which always makes me laugh actually is the 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 guy for Squarespace. I forget what his name is now. He's an artist, and he but he brought out a, a concept which was a film that wouldn't be released until after he's died, and obviously no one was allowed to see it up until that point. Uh, the friggin' hell was his name? Anyway, completely lost it. It all occurred to me. It's John Malkovich. There you go. John Malkovich supposedly came up with a film that wouldn't be released until after he died. And I remember the amount of press that that generated and thinking to myself, he's probably not even made this film. It'd be amazing if in 100 years' time when they come to actually release that, if he's done absolutely diddly squat. It's interesting. That's almost what Black Lazarus became uh, for David Bowie. Not not intentionally, but it became the album that was released after his death, wasn't it? And uh, all the more interesting for it, I guess. Um, according to a recent VentureBeat article, apparently 700 million people are regularly playing online games. And uh, what changes are we going to see in the gaming space? Obviously, oh, wow. it's something that people are doing at home. And, you know, what what, what, what can we expect and what can advertisers be doing to, to be in that space? I'm not, I don't want to make this all about advertising, but I know that that tends... That is going to be immense, all right? Google, um, if you... It, I would suggest to people, have a look at Peter Jackson... BBC Click AR, right? If you look at that video, you're going to see Peter Jackson has done this experiment where with an iPad, he's just looking at a dining room table. It's just a blank dining room table. And using AR Kit, he's creating an experience where there are characters walking around uh, the dining room table on, around buildings. Spaceships are flying in and bombing them, right? And they've got to, they jump off the table they know where the edge of the table is. That's called depth perception, all right? They, the characters run to the edge of the table, di- dive off and jump for their lives and stuff. And it's all just happening on the di- table in front of you. You know this. You know how it was almost like that Princess Leia coming out of R2-D2? Holograms, uh, it, that's going to be a massive part of the future. AR Kit is a device made by Apple. It's going to be on 381 million iPhones this year. And IKEA have already used um, AR Kit to sell furniture. You scan an area of your living room, you select a piece of furniture, and that piece of furniture enters your living room. You're also going to know if it's going to fit through the door. All right? And one of the things we're saying about future technology, if if 50s tech was about labour-saving devices, future tech's about assistance and well-being. All right? And so through this AR kit-enabled app for IKEA, choose the furniture, you can add it to basket and buy. Now, people will say, Oh, but you want to sit on a sofa before you buy it. Maybe. But people said people said to the lady that founded Netta Porter, the bank manager said, I'm not giving you money for your business. I know how my wife shops. She won't buy a dress for £2,500 unless she can uh, try it on first. Wrong. She'll, as long as it's delivered well, 
she'll have it delivered to her door and then she'll decide whether she wants it or not. And it'll probably be, you'll see something at your friend's house and then you'll, you'll go, I want that and just make sure it fits. And then well, it's... computer vision. eBay have created an application which they're working on at the moment where you can be walking through a pasta shop, you can snap any item, it understands what it is and it can show you where to buy it on eBay and buy it. Tommy Hilfiger's using it, it's called Tommyland. Okay. Um, in terms of gamification... People thought that Pokemon Go was an AR game. It wasn't. It was a GPS game. If you happened to point your device at the right pit of GPS, you saw a Pokemon monster. Now, with advances in AR, including AR Kit, Google's um, Tango system, you're going to be able to creep up behind uh, Pokemon. Pokemon's going to know where the tree is, know where the bench is. He's going to be able to jump from surface to surface. He's not just going to hang on a bit of GPS, you know, gormlessly. He's going to hide, know how to bounce on things around you, and you're going to have to catch him. Gamification is going to go through the roof with this late, these latest advances. And that's not in the future. That's now. AR Core is Google's answer to AR Kit. IKEA already using it. Um, I really think that brands need to start getting not just a voice strategy, but an augmented reality strategy. And I'll explain why. Confucius said, tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I might remember. Involve me and I'll understand. And nothing is more engaging or more involving than augmented reality and virtual reality. I've got a friend, and this might be a little bit off topic, but he's uh, his dad gave him this theory, which I thought was quite nice, which was... Basically, a lot of the stuff which is taking off is giving the everyday man the lifestyle of a millionaire. Uh, and to some degree, I see this IKEA like a, the, this IKEA idea is it fits perfectly into the, into that. That you would normally have somebody that would come around and go, "What kind of furniture would you like here? Or what about these suggestions or whatever?" You'd have your personal stylist. Your personal sort of stylist, yeah. And the other thing that a millionaire is supposed to have, or you know, the lifestyle of a millionaire is is supposed to have more time because they have staff doing stuff for them. All right. Now, like I say, we're not going to get robots quite yet, but we are going to have technology which assists us. So I tell you something, as someone who lives in Shepherd's Bush and has done, in my, for, for my care, too many visits to Ikea in uh, Brent Cross, if I had the option to live like a millionaire, right, I can select the chair, add to basket and buy and I'll know if it's going to fit. And I know millimetre accurately how it's going to look in my room. I'd rather do that and then go out and go to the park with my children, have time like a millionaire, go and do things, go and see a cinema film. I'd rather do that than traipse around Ikea. Frankly, that's my personal opinion. And that's where technology is providing flexibility, convenience and assistance. In the final segment of the interview, I wanted to talk to Simon about the potential of VR. As someone who has helped to grow a CGI company into one of the world's leading providers of VR content, I thought he would have some interesting insights into how the technology is going to develop and how it may be used moving forward. Hand in hand with, uh, with gaming, there's obviously this huge, huge wave in VR, uh, or uh, VR and AR, they kind of come hand in hand, and I know that you've got a lot of experience in it. When we take on this technology, uh, what do you think the opportunity is going to be? A lot of people are saying that there's an internet-sized opportunity in it. Uh, other people aren't. What do you think? I think that AR um, and the advancements that we're seeing in AR, brought about by ARKit and uh, Tango, for example, I think that's not an evolution in mobile. It's a revolution in mobile. It's a revolution. These advancements in AR will revolutionise mobile to the same extent that GPS did. And let's face it, GPS gave us Uber, 
all right, and Airbnb and Google Maps. It stopped the phone just being a phone and turned it into a pocket location-seeking device sort of thing. You know, it's like it, it was a revol- GPS was a revolution. AR was going to be a revolution in mobile. And you know something? UK spends more on mobile than any other country in the world. And this year, compared to last year, we spent 50% more. So if you can revolutionise mobile, you're onto something. And AR is doing exactly that. VR has a longer road to mass adoption. Okay, Um, it's great. And I think when people are briefing on AR, they have to say, what presence do we want to offer the viewer? Don't just make VR for VR's sake. But if you're a Manchester United fan and VR can take you to the dressing rooms in Old Trafford and down that tunnel onto the pitch when the crowd is roaring, that's something that video doesn't do, but VR does. And that's a great use of it. But you know what? The problem with it is, yes, you've got Google Cardboard. Yes, you've got Google Daydream. 360 video is great but in my opinion it's a while before it's really in the homes of people and that won't necessarily come about till we have handset less headsets so you just you know when you watch tv you just touch press the button the tv goes on one of the problems in my opinion with vr is now take your handset now take your phone now pair the device with this and press this button people don't is my opinion They'll watch 360 videos, uh, you, you know, on YouTube and Facebook and on websites like we deliver, and that's cool. And I think it is a really great format. But I think there's a longer road to mass adoption for VR. Where it does work is experientially in shopping malls, in theatres, and that type of thing. It can thrill people massively, and that's where I think it's currently got its best positioning. The Shard, my old company, Happy Finish, for example, created an experience when you go up the Shard, uh, you go on a slide, you go on this um. It's a it's a chair. It's like a uh, you sit on a chair, but it's a it's, it's on hydraulics. It moves around, and when you put the headset on, you suddenly do a helter skelter, a roller coaster ride from the top of the shard all the way around London, and it moves up and down, and that's brilliant. I went with my friend's birth, son for his birthday, his thirteenth thirteen year old birthday. My kids went on it. I went on it, and there were. I should say, we talked about older, the older generation just earlier. There were a lot of grey heads, for want of a better phrase, <laughs> going on that. They were the ones that were screaming the Shard down and engaging with it so well. And interestingly for the Shard, they're charging £10 to go. Okay, My ticket that day was t- ticket 236, so that's £2,360 earned by about seven, pound, 7 o'clock in the evening. And I'm told that the Shard had got a return, had broken even on the experience after something like, I don't know, four to six weeks of doing that. And they're going to have it there a lot longer. VR experientially in theatres and malls and adventure playgrounds and all that sort of thing, that's where VR can really be used. In terms of the transition to VR, because I, I completely agree with you, it's a long road ahead. At the moment, AR, for the most part, I see a lot of kind of gimmicky stuff where it's a big dinosaur and, and it's appealing to the early adopters, which are probably younger younger kids and that kind of thing. Mm. Like your mobile phone, when all of a sudden it gained all these utilities that without them made you uh, less uh, inferior to those who had the possession of it, I can navigate my way around the, around the city, I can have information at the touch, touch of a button, etc., etc., when do you think that AR, if you can make a prediction on this, would is going to transition to a point where it becomes a utility that uh, when people don't embrace it, it becomes a, 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 something that holds them back? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm into sort of dystopian sci-fi, you know, films like Ex Machina and Her and stuff. Uh, and there's a short video online which is called Hyper Reality. Uh, now, in that, I should say that recently, about a month ago, there was a claim by an executive of Facebook that said, by 2022, we won't be using phones anymore. 
we're going to be using glasses that we talk to. It's almost like Google Glass has come back, but at the right time. All right. Before we get to glasses in 2022, if that Facebook executive is to believe, it's going to start in our phones, which is what we're seeing with the IKEA app already. But by the time it's in glasses, in hyper-reality, this uh, dystopian short film, someone is walking through a supermarket, they're walking down the street, and their whole world is augmented with graphics. It's show- graphics showing you when it's safe to cross the road, when it's not safe to cross the road. You walk past Costa Coffee, for example, and I suddenly see a neon sign, a neon graphic wrap around that shop beautifully. My neon sign is different to yours because I like different artists to you. And my sign is made by the artists I love. And it says your coffee and croissants await. And there's a 20% offer. Simon, very personalised, brought to me through my glasses or through my device uh, to the real world. When it comes to the point where I, if you haven't got it, you're missing out almost where we've got to, if you like, with mobile phones. Um, well, the Facebook guy said 2022 is when we'll be having it in glasses. Uh, are we there yet on mobile in terms of AR? I don't think it's always being used gimmickly, although that certainly is part of it. But, you know, Pokemon Go, was that a gimmick? Maybe it was. But it sent thousands of people running down the street after a monster, comparable to scenes from Hard Day's Night with teenagers chasing after the Beatles. It was such a mania. And so, yes, it's a gimmick, but hell does it work. The the idea of the metaverse and this, this world that we transition into is literally so fascinating to me. I, I, I love the idea of it. I know mm-hmm. you had things like uh, Second Home or Second Life. Second Life, that's um, right. And Sims was almost a session of that. Yeah, and uh, for me, I feel like the people that are going to really capitalise on this are the people that are able, who are already kind of creating these worlds to some degree in the two-dimensional space. And so... That would be the RP, uh, not RPG, yeah, role-playing game kind of developers. And there's games, Final Fantasy from Japan. You've got uh, GTA, which was originally done by British designers, and of course, like World of Warcraft, places where people already spend huge, huge amounts of time engaging in these worlds. Um, who do you think, from a country perspective, has got the edge on on these these developing technologies? Uh, you've visited these places. Yeah, I mean. Um... China and Japan, to go away from gaming but to talk about voice just quickly, um, China, Windows, uh, Microsoft, develop, have got a voice recognition unit called Cortana. Okay? Now, they developed um, a chatbot. It's called Zhao Ice, which literally means little ice. Okay? The way that that... Now, that chatbot, it's just a chatbot, um, 40 million Chinese people every day wake up and have a conversation with Zhao Ice to the tune of 23 turns. Good morning. How are you? Did you sleep well? It's the first thing they do, okay? There was um, a phrase said by one reporter that they felt it was interesting that China is showing a very rapid development of needy emotional relationships with devices and technology, and they noted that China was also the country of the single-child policy, where this companionship was desired. I don't personally subscribe to that point of view. I think we all grab our phones first thing in the morning, not just China. But this behaviour where to engage with it very quickly and for it to become part of our norm is very rapid in China. We've seen how quickly they adopted um, WeChat and transactions online and sharing money through a social um, model. China is very quick to embrace that. Talking about 360 and living in worlds and this type of thing, there's a great book by Ernest Klein called Ready Player One, 
It's set, it's going to be Spielberg's next film in 2018. It's going to be the blockbuster of 2018, Ready Player One. It's set in the year 2044, where people, they've had their work taken away from them by AI, so they've got more time on their hands. What do they do with their time? They spend 75% of their life in the VR world called the Oasis. Sounds far-fetched, it's set in the year 2044, but let me tell you, the average American today spends 93% of their life indoors, 7% outdoors. 20% of that's in a car. The average American spends half a day outdoors per week. So the dystopian novel notion that we're going to spend 75% of our lives in VR, I don't like the sound of that personally, but that's the theory of this book that Spielberg's turning into the film. When you're a basic character in the Oasis, you exist in basic world. If you earn points and rewards, you can evolve to other worlds. And who makes those other worlds? Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Heineken. Your world opens up to you, made for you by brands. One of the things we're already seeing, okay, is there's a company that's doing programmatic delivery of advertising to 360 games that you stream. So if you're driving a car... Just just to interrupt you there, programmatic means it's basically targeted. Targeted. So just in terms of today, if you and I were both to open up our laptops... And I said, we said, let's go to exactly the same web page. So we both go to nme.com and we're reading a review for the latest Coldplay album. All right. And as we're reading that review and we're scrolling through the page, you get a video advert and I get a video advert. But even though we're on the same article, computers uh, programmatically have delivered advertising to us. Your advert will be different to mine. So if I've booked a walking holiday in the hills of Wales recently online, I might get an advert by Timberland for Timberland Boots because they've seen that I've booked a holiday in Wales. You might have booked a holiday in Italy on the beaches. You might get an advert from Ray-Bans for sunglasses. Same page, different ads. That's programmatic delivery. In the world of 360 VR uh, gaming, you're racing around the track. I'm racing after you. You've got your headset on. I've got my headset on. And when I go under past billboards on the track where we're chasing our cars around, all right, your billboards have different adverts in them to mine. And that's just racing around a track. When we start existing in more in VR worlds, which we're seeing already with items on the Google Daydream, there's a world called Avakin, where you take on an avatar and you can walk around bars, you can walk into shops, you can see products, you can even buy them, all right? The products that I'll see and the posters I'll see on the streets that I'm walking around will be totally different to the ones that you see. That's programmatic delivery to 360 in a VR world. Just to finish up here, um, of all the different technologies that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, imagine that you had to sell your house today and Mm -hmm. and put it into one of those those technologies that you think is really going to take off and uh, would be a worthy investment. Where, Where would you put your time and energy? My money? Yeah, your money as well as your time and energy. Bitcoin. That's where to make That's one thing we haven't talked about, is cryptocurrency. If you bought £300 worth of Bitcoin six years ago, do you know how much it would be worth today? Um, Basically, I'd be living on the moon, I think, wouldn't I? £13.8 million. £300 six years ago. Um, Now, it's going to slow down. But why Bitcoin? Well... So I spoke to a few people about the cryptocurrency world and it seems like all the people that, with each new cryptocurrency that comes out, there seems to be iterations of the the, the blockchain and ways to improve these things incrementally. 
I know a lot of the people that were in the Bitcoin kind of scene in the early part of it have transitioned over to Ethereum and and building platforms and and ways to to make that come off. What what makes you say Bitcoin in particular? Just because it's the biggest brand? Because it's the biggest brand, the ease of buying through, um, you know, through application. Um, you know, I think the challenge was that not the question that you're asking was if you were selling your house and you had to invest it in any technology, what would you do? Um, I did buy shares in Apple before they launched the iPod, and I'm really glad I did that. Um, and I think that Bitcoin is going to be an area where we see huge growth. Um, I'd also invest in Amazon. You know, yeah. Scott Galloway does a talk called There Shall Be Only One, and he predicts that they're going to be the first trillion dollar company because he says if you look at the human body and you break it down into four sections, our brain is Google, the big four we're talking about here. The brain is Google, that's the search engine. The heart, that's Facebook, that's family and friends. The stomach, the, want, the desire to consume, is Amazon. And the sexy bits, that's Apple. Look at my iPhone, aren't I cool? All right. But Amazon are really moving into all areas. So when it comes to the search engine, which is currently Google, currently 55% of all shopping searches are straight to Amazon. I think it's something like 28% of Google and 16% of the retailer. So they're moving in on the brain. Amazon are going to launch anytime soon, which is going to be their Facebook Messenger. And they're they're going to take over that area as a theory. They're already Amazon in the gut, the right to consume. When it comes to the sexy bits, the iPhone side of things, they're the first people to make a voice bot. They're the first people to put a screen on it with Alexa Show. They are moving rapidly ahead with technology, which used to be the domain of Apple. So I'd also put my money into Amazon. And they've got the the consumer uh, Amazon Amazon platform where you can consume your content. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. They're just a money-making machine and there doesn't seem to be any sign of stopping them. So. That's right. Um Okay, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on today. I've got a, a few. I've got a few more questions for you. A few quick fire ones, and then a final question that I've Please got to ask you. Um, favorite film or documentary? Um, documentary in pursuit of silence. Um, it's a beautiful documentary. It was released on DVD just last weekend. I am someone who I have three children, and they were not allowed to watch television between the ages of zero and twelve. We, are, we have a policy in my home of no devices at the table, okay? We take the dog for walks. I cycle. I don't use any apps to measure my cycle, although I do have a wearable which tracks my heart rate and all that sort of thing. But I think it's very, although I'm talking about the connected home, as an individual, I think it's very important to switch off. I was in Singapore recently, okay, and there was a, I was in a shopping mall. All right. And it was Saturday. It should have been the loudest place in the planet, this massive shopping mall, the huge canteen area. But you could hear a pin drop because every man, woman and child was on a device at the table. I think I think that's sad. And I think I was having a great conversation with my friends. So I have this policy, no devices at the table. So the documentary about in pursuit of silence reminds us just how important silence is if you really want to relax, rewind, recuperate and rest. And I think that's a great documentary. Just to, just to dig into that a little bit, because it's a fascinating uh, philosophy you have there, to be someone who's so pro-technology and to, to some degree, kind of shelter your children from technology at a point in their life when they're most likely to be sponges. And, you know, I, I put my trajectory of embracing technology very much down to my early years and the fact that my parents just went, you know, if that's what you want, there you go. They didn't know anything about it. They just let me, you know, I was in chat rooms, I was doing all the wrong things, but... Um, you know, it gave me my fascination to this day. Do you think that 
it will hold them back from their friends to some degree? <laughs> Let me tell you. Honestly, I don't want to be smug about my children, but yeah. they weren't allowed to be on TV or devices from 0 to 12, as I was saying. Rosa, my eldest, was on Team Tom on The Voice. She's a great singer. She's a great songwriter. She's a great guitarist. Lolita, my middle child, is going to set up her own fashion company. Okay, um, She knows how to make clothes because when she wasn't watching TV, we were t- look, there's a sewing machine over there, make stuff, cook stuff, bake stuff, learn stuff. They all play instruments. They all can do that. My youngest, Pablo, he's a brilliant actor. Uh, he's done plays uh, at Bush Theatre and all around the place because he's reading, he's learning how to act, he's engaging with stuff. When it's the weekend, I thrash him at FIFA. <laughs> all right? We watch films. We sit together now that they're older. They're now 19, 16 and 14. And we watch Bake Off together live and we laugh about it. But you know what? When we have a meal, no phones. How was your day at school? Is everything okay? What did you learn today? And I don't want to hear the word, it was fine elaborate why was it fine tell me something you learned today that you didn't know tomorrow you've really got to make that effort so i'm not saying that these devices are wrong for children but i am saying that they have to be used in balance i had a friend say to me i said to him how was your christmas and he goes every time i took the ipod off my son he screamed and ipad rather off my son he screamed and screamed and screamed his son's three i'm like don't give him the ipad then you know give him lego a book and some plasticine. It's like when you give dogs treats and then you wonder why they stare at you. <laughs> um, book or learning resource? My favourite book. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Haruki Murakami. I just love it. I love him. He's a, he, take, he can take you to other worlds like no other author. Uh, and he's the only author I've ever slept on the pavement of Waterstones to, at three o'clock in the morning to make sure I could be there for the signing of a book. So that's how much I love him. He's an amazing author. Um, but learning resource, I also think that um, how, to, is it how to win friends and influence people, how to make friends and influence people, um, the, Carnegie, Dan, uh, the Carnegie book is um, amazing. You know, it's written in the 30s, but that idea of how can you, you know, it's a sales book at the end of the yeah. day. And it's about, you, you, you know, understand who you're talking to, provide solutions, don't try to sell your message try to hear what they need and fit and provide a solution to their to their requirements feel like that's it, a great book it's like the sister book to think and grow rich by napoleon hill it feels like they're of the same kind of ilk to some degree mm. um a newsletter people should subscribe to uh, they should look, look uh it's interesting because i think wired magazine's great but one of the things i'm enjoying as a futurist at unruly and the way i stay ahead and understand is i follow other futurists so tom goodwin michael spencer um, people could follow myself because I'm going through so much of it that I'm constantly putting onto my own LinkedIn, to my at Cy Gosling Twitter, updates of where this technology is going and engaging in conversations with other thought leaders in the field to stay ahead of the game. Um, I was literally just about to say what website do you go to find out about new technology, but you've answered that question, so I'll move on to the next. TechCrunch is good. Yeah. Um, what's a great present for Simon Gosling? A walk in the woods. My, it's my birthday scene and my family said what do you want to do and I want to go to Burnham Beaches and walk in the woods with my family and my dog time with your family that's the best thing in the world and I know it sounds smug but I absolutely mean it before I ask you the final 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 question and um, reveal how people can actually get hold of you uh, I'm going to pass the show over to our producer Adam who's going to share with you some actual insights from today's interview well thanks for joining us today Simon and thank you for sharing your vision of the future To quickly summarise, here's five of the actionable insights that I heard. 
Number one, the heart of good advertising is storytelling. It will be the thing they'll remember the most. Get the emotional intelligence right and people will view and possibly share your content. Number two, by 2020, 50% of all internet searches will be made by voice, making having a voice strategy hugely important, especially in order to avoid brand bypass, the notion that if someone adds a product to their online shopping basket by voice and don't mention the brand name, they may, for example, receive Amazon's own brand. Number three, Amazon Voice Guilds allow brands to own certain information requests, like Philadelphia's How to Make a Cheesecake. The brand who gets there first will own delivering the information while advertising their product. Number four, gamification of advertising is happening now and will be huge. IKEA is already using AR to sell furniture because AR and VR involve the buyer. And number five, if you're thinking of investing, Bitcoin and Amazon are showing signs of great growth. Uh, thank you, Adam. Some really great insights there. So to sum up, before I ask you the final question, uh, where can people get hold of you and uh, do you have any asks for the audience? People can get hold of me on my Twitter, at Cy Gosling, or through my LinkedIn, Simon Gosling, and I'm the futurist at Unruly. Uh, so they can get hold of me there or follow me there. Um, and any asks for the audience? How do you mean exactly? Uh, what would you, if you could ask them to do anything, uh, ways to keep in touch, uh, questions you have for them, um, you know, anything that you would like them to kind of come at you, come at you with? Um, I, I, in terms of adoption of technology, it's not don't use it at all or use it too much. It's just use it in balance, I think, is what I always suggest to people. Um, but I ask nothing more. No, I'm not, it's not for me to ask anything of anyone, really. So. Yeah, fair enough, there fair enough. I recommend you actually go and follow Simon's stuff because, I mean, um, I do that myself. And the other day I watched that video of you having a, a conversation with a with a, a projection in the, in the living room of the future home and I was just, like, blown away by that. And I, I stuck it in my mailing list that month because I was like, you know what? This is the kind of stuff that I'm, I'd be completely none the wiser about should I not follow your stuff. <laughs> People so. love that. That was the world's first uh, holoportation call. I spoke to someone on the phone, the good old-fashioned phone, but I was wearing a Microsoft HoloLens headset, and in front of me, on a chair in my living room, I could see a hologram of a person who was sitting in Ravensbourne College, and they were being up, up to the internet and down to my headset, and in real time I could co have a conversation with a three-dimensional person sitting there in front of me who was being captured by Microsoft Connect, so that was wild. That's the life of the futurist. <laughs> uh, so final, final, final question. Uh, if you had the opportunity to give the world one piece of advice to live a better and more meaningful life, what would you say? I think um, get more sleep. All right. The sleep aid industry by 2020 is going to be worth £66.5 billion. Pounds, all right. 20% of Americans are insomniacs and we're seeing a growing trend of people not sleeping well in the UK. The average time that people wake up has gone become earlier, much earlier than it used to be. I believe it's 5.30 instead of 7 o'clock because people used to be woken up by their alarms. Now they sort of wake up and before you'd go, oh, I need to go back to sleep. Now people grab their phones. Don't charge your phones in your bedrooms. All right, put them elsewhere. Get a good old traditional alarm clock. And if you sleep better... You feel better, you're more productive. So that would be my advice. Make sure you sleep, get a good night's sleep. 
I don't think you could ask for better advice than that. Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute joy. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now.